Brought to you by PrayLatin.com, makers of prayer cards featuring complete English phonetic renderings of Latin pronunciations. There's an argument that is often made about the state of the church, and it goes something like this. The majority of Catholics in the Western world approve of the job Francis is doing. The majority want reforms and updates to the church's teachings on the various sins of the flesh and the James Martin sin in particular. And the majority of the faithful want the sacrament of holy orders opened up to pretty much anyone who wants to be a priest, regardless of their uh, immutable futures, or to whom they'd like to marry, and of course, they should be allowed to marry. Those are majority positions in much of the church today. Those positions aren't those of the church, and have never really been the positions of the church, although the married clergy one really varies depending on East and West, but those arguments are made by self-described reformers who seek to impose the will of modernity on the church today. And they're not being terribly subtle about the arguments they make, either. The problem for them is that they don't actually represent the Catholic Church. They represent the new religion, which calls itself Catholic. People like to harp on and on about schism this and schism that, but the reality is that a schism happened already. It's just that the two or more parties to the schism are pretending that it actually hasn't happened yet. This is the stuff of approved Catholic prophecy, by the way. Numerous mystics throughout history have said, with Blessed Anne Catherine Emmerich being the most noteworthy of them, they have said that there would be a time that would come when a false edifice would be built over the church, a fake church essentially, and that it would quietly dismantle the Catholic church behind the edifice. The various mystics who said this all said the same thing about it, that they would fail in the end through some form of divine intervention, but in the process, many souls would be lost. Fulton Sheen described this using the term that you've probably heard me use to describe it, and that's the term, the ape of the church. Ape meaning mimic, because that's what apes do. They tend to mimic human beings. If you're not familiar with how Archbishop Sheen described this, buckle up because it's going to sound pretty familiar to you. The short quote comes from his famous Signs of the Times homily from the late 1940s, and here he is describing the man of sin, the Antichrist, and how he will deceive the faithful, and what he will do to set himself up as the ape of God, the mimic of Christ. Quote, He, the Antichrist, will set up a counter-church, which will be the ape of the church, because he, the devil, is the ape of God. It will have all the notes and characteristics of the church, but in reverse and emptied of its divine content. It will be a mystical body of the Antichrist that will in all externals resemble the mystical body of Christ. In desperate need for God, whom he nevertheless refuses to adore, modern man in his loneliness and frustration will hunger more and more for membership in a community that will give him enlargement of purpose, but at the cost of losing himself in some vague collectivity, end quote. I fully believe we're seeing the early work of that happening now, in our time. Francis is not the Antichrist. The Church has said numerous times that it is de fide, a matter of faith, that the Antichrist will be neither a Pope nor someone the people think is the Pope. The Antichrist will have certain characteristics. He will come from the tribe of Dan, for example. We know that from, I believe it's a book of Daniel. And uh, being from the tribe of Dan has some rather serious implications to it. He will be like Christ in many ways. He'll likely be young, a miracle worker, charismatic, and he will talk of peace. He will certainly deceive many who profess Christ as Savior. What will fuel his rise will be the popular will. 
Miracle workers are usually popular, especially those miracle workers who don't actually work miracles, who are themselves essentially grifters and deceivers of the worst kind. Those who offer the people what they want most with no meaningful strings attached are always popular, at least meaningful strings attached in this life. That's why we see this argument what is popular being what is right for the church. I'll come back to the ape of the church in a moment. I just want to give you a prime example of this thinking, that what is popular in the church must be good. From the official media website of the German bishops, we get this headline. Bishop Botzing, Majority of Believers Support Synodal Path. If you're not aware, the German Synodal Path famously promoted the James Martin sin, the ideology that drives it, as well as calling for married priests, ordaining women, and allowing the laity to choose who their bishops are as if they were politicians seeking public office. Rome said a few harsh things to the Germans for trying to do this, but in the end, of course, they took no meaningful action to stop them, with Francis going so far as to say that the Holy Spirit was <laughs> moving among the German bishops. He called the German Synod away a movement of the Holy Spirit, if you can believe it, which was a more than tacit endorsement of their evil work. Botzing was the head of the German Synod away before it wrapped up its evil work earlier this year. Now, the Germans are in the implementation phase of their synod, with Botzing saying the following, quote, Limburg Bishop George Botzing sees the majority of believers in Germany behind the reform concerns of the synodal path. The chairman of the German Bishops' Conference, the DBK, sees the danger of a schism as a result of the German Reform Dialogue in an interview distributed by the Diocese of Limburg on Monday, and he talked about it, saying, quote, There are groups that are already talking about an imminent split in the church, a schism. I clearly don't see this danger. However, I have the impression that those who are particularly fond of talking about it obviously long for it, said Botzing. In his view, the vast majority of believers want a church that renews itself and builds, quote, bridges to the social and cultural realities of our time. However, this majority is often rather reserved. In Botzing's view, a, quote, culture of debate up to date was practiced on the synodal path, but that is not the ultimate for a future synodal cooperation in the church. But nobody has claimed that either. There is still a lot to improve here. The bishop, who as chairman of the DBK, was also part of the presidium of the synodal path, regretted that it had not been possible to involve and take a negative minority to the end. But I would like to remind you that this group has not exercised its statutory right to cast its own uh, voice and attach them to the text of its resolutions. That would have been a constructive way, end quote. He goes on, he wanted basically to drag the resistors, kicking and screaming, to their position. He also says, though, that polarization is dangerous for the church, which on a surface level reading is up true, obviously, but you have to remember that when the modernists decry polarization, they're simply trying to guilt trip everyone who opposes their work into shutting up and falling in line. The ape of the church is being built before our eyes. A few weeks ago, I received an email from someone reminding me that I should define the ape of the church in detail, and then they proceeded to at least give me a starting point in their email, hence why I'm making this video. I'll just quote them since they defined it better than I probably could, at least to give you an idea of what they were saying. Though I'll leave the sender anonymous since you never really know who's paying attention anymore. Quote, When Francis and the heretics say the church, they actually mean the church of the new advent, or the post-conciliar church, etc., which is the ape. When you say the church, meaning when I say it, you mean Holy Mother Church, the timeless and rigid, meaning strong and firm, institution founded by Jesus Christ himself, 
for the purposes of preserving the eternal truth of God within the mystical body and the hearts of men. As such, it might be worth a podcast to discuss the satanic obfuscation that is at play here in that. The forces of the ape are correct in that the ancient church of Jesus Christ, filled with the Holy Ghost, infused with sacramental grace, is most certainly a threat to the ape of the church. Meaning, using the context of the modernists, they are telling us the truth about their ruptured hermeneutic, their deformed church, and its weak stature that can only be supported by acting like it is the Catholic Church. End quote. Remember, it was the modernists, with Francis at their head, telling us that the hermeneutic of continuity that Benedict and John Paul II promoted was dead. Something to remember. Now, it's worth emphasizing that when I talk about the ape of the church, I'm not talking about the Catholic Church. I'm talking about that institution pretending to be the Catholic Church that occupies some of the same space as it. As St. Athanasius said during an ancient crisis in the 4th century, they have the buildings and we have the faith. Many of those complicit with building the ape thought they were doing good deeds by trying to keep the faith relevant to the modern world. They forgot that the only real way to keep the faith relevant is to preach the truth of the gospel regarding, regardless of the cost, even if it means earning the red crown of martyrs. Instead, the prelates who began this work before Vatican II actively sought to have the church stop being so judgmental and instead listen to what the secular world has to say on various matters, resulting in, of course, the church becoming less relevant and people simply leaving. We've all seen it. We've all seen the funeral numbers and the uh, outweighing the number of people coming into the church and people just not showing up anymore. And that's because the human soul hungers for truth. And if the church won't preach the truth, people will find some substitute that will always be inadequate. But if it contains enough of the truth, then the faithful will feel satisfied by the false gospels offered elsewhere. One only has to look at the rising numbers of non-denominational charismatic evangelicals in the U.S., many of whom are former Catholics, to see the effect. The ape of the church, for this reason, must be resisted. On the Sunday where most parishes in the Western world were observing the Feast of the Ascension, which was actually on the preceding Thursday, Archbishop Vigano issued a letter detailing the battle between the church and the dragon the dragon being Satan, of course. The church calls the faithful to resist the dragon, to do battle against the dragon, and to do so with prayer and correcting the evil promulgated by the dragon. And the ape of the church is the servant of the dragon, even if it's unwitting. Now, here's a short excerpt from his letter, which I may provide this weekend in full, though I suspect strongly he's going to have a letter for Pentecost on Sunday that I'll try to bring you that day. Here's the archbishop reminding us of that battle before us. Quote, I recall your attention to the threefold assault of the dragon. The first assault is against Jesus Christ, the newborn son of the woman. See Revelation 12, verse 5. Who escapes from the dragon's attacks by being raptured into heaven. The second assault is against the woman. See Revelation 12, uh, verse 6. Who flees into the desert, an allegory for a place protected from the assault of Satan. For a period of 1,260 days, or 42 months, or three and a half years. That is the time of the reign of Antichrist. The third assault is against the children of the woman, that is, Christians and the church. But they obtain victory over the dragon thanks to the blood of the Lamb. See Revelation chapter 12, verse 11. I find this threefold distinction of Satan's assault very edifying and meaningful. We see that the devil always attacks Christ, first in his person, then in his mystical body, and finally in his faithful. Yet the victory that the Lord wants to obtain is realized only in the third assault, and the dragon was angry against the woman. 
and he went to make war on the rest of his descendants, on those who kept the commandments of God and have at heart the testimony of Jesus. See Revelation chapter 12, verse 17. Who are they? Of whom does St. John speak when he alludes to the descendants of the woman? If not of those who have remained faithful and have not apostatized the faith, nor have allowed themselves to be swept away by the tail of the dragon. It is a great consolation to see how the Lord is pleased to call his children to fight in the battle against Satan, so that thanks to their generous abandonment to God's will, they may become docile instrument of Christ's triumph over the one who was a slayer from the beginning. See John chapter 8, verse 44. The Lord does not want to win alone. He wants his victory to be ours too. If we take the field under the banners of Christ our King and Mary our Queen, who have purchased us back, Christ in his passion and redemption, and Mary most holy through her compassion and co-redemption, from our state as being in servitude to the devil. Behold again the cross on which the king is seated, and at whose feet stands the queen mother, a queen and mother of every baptized person, but especially of every priest, whom the Lord has entrusted to her as her valiant subjects and devoted children. And a lengthy quote. That letter is pretty awesome in general, since Vigano calls out Francis for labeling those of us who want the faith of our forebears as backwardsists and sick from a sense of nostalgia. What we actually want, what Francis and the rest don't seem to get, is the faith. We want the faith, even if that puts us in the extreme minority opinion in the church itself. Many people seem to straddle the line between the ape of the church and the Catholic church, partially because we're probably still in the early stages of its development, and many of these lines are gray. The man of sin hasn't arrived yet, or if he's on earth at the moment, he hasn't made himself public. Not yet. When that happens, that'll be an interesting day, to put it mildly, especially since most people won't even recognize him for who or what he is. But he will certainly preach some familiar-sounding words. Dialogue, accompaniment, human fraternity, universal brotherhood, and all of the other rhetoric we've come to associate with the false gospel of the modernists. The difference will be that he'll be very, very good at selling his false gospel to people. Unlike the clowns running the church these days. Which is why you should know the faith. That is your best protection against this, is to know the faith. Keep the faith. Study the faith. So you don't get caught up by these people offering a false gospel. Study the faith. Stay close to the sacraments. And get out of parishes where the faith is undermined by some priest who wants to teach the false gospel of the world by attaching it to the Eucharist. For many, that will be a hardship, though. It was for my family when we chose to exit the diocesan parishes in our area for traditional options, but it was well worth the cost. But I'm curious, what do you think about this? Is this pretty clear, this distinction between the ape of the church and the Catholic church? Is, your bishop, is Bishop Botzing a prime example of one of those making way for the man of sin? Or do you just think I'm nuts? <laughs> Let me know in the comments, please. Like and subscribe if you haven't. It does help, so does sharing this on social media. That helps a lot, too. As always, pray for the church. I'm Anthony Stein. Ave Maria.